0: Back to the movies, a pretty self-explanatory podcast. (laughs) My name is Daniel Barrios, and today I'm going to be talking about something from Tiffany's. I know that love is messy. (laughs) If you just give me one more chance, I will be so much better. It feels like he's really trying. Does that mean that I have to start being nice to him or something, because I can't do it, I don't think? relationship is simple. Is there something you need to tell me? I want to move to New York. Daisy, I'm going to propose to Vanessa. That is the one. You heard the boss. I'm looking to get a present for my girlfriend. I was hoping that one of those blue boxes would do the trick. Let me show you what we have. You're not going to open the box now. No, I can't. What if it is what we think it is? I don't know if I'm ready for this. Merry Christmas. I don't know what to say. Me neither. You're beautiful. He got my ring, I got his present. you gotta go get the ring back. Hi. Hi. you fine as hell, too. What are those, hands? Oh, my God. Terry. I know something when I see something, and that wasn't nothing. I'm never going to see him again. So whatever. Hello again. I together with you. Something from Tiffany's is a romantic comedy directed by Daryl Ween with a screenplay by Tamara Chesna based on the book by Melissa Hill stars Zoe Dutch as Rachel, this New York baker. Who is dating Gary, a tattoo artist played by Ray Nicholson, and on the other side of town, there's a aspiring writer and single father named Ethan, played by Kendrick Sampson, who is looking to propose to his uh, long-term girlfriend, Vanessa, played by Shane Mitchell, and Gary and Ethan both show up at Tiffany's. The Famous, you know jewelry store. I mean hell the title something from Tiffany's has the same cadence as breakfast at Tiffany's So if you're aware of this uh, (coughs) Fancy fancy jewelry, it's a New York and I would not even a New York staple a global staple Uh, Ignore any meows you hear. That is my annoying little cat who knows that breakfast time is in 45 minutes not now but Gary and Ethan, Ethan shows up actually with his daughter, Daisy, played by Leah Jeffries, who is uh, one of the just great little bits of comic relief in this. I love how spunky she is. Anyway, uh, Gary and Ethan both show up at Tiffany's around the same time. Ethan looking for an engagement ring for Vanessa and Gary showing up, honestly, because he needs a Christmas present at the very last minute and we we're better to go than Tiffany's, right? Like, ah, that, that'll win her over. Just just buy her some diamonds. It's cool. They buy their things. Gary leaves, gets hit by a taxi. Just gets hit by a taxi. And <laughs> I worry that some of you may think I'm spoiling the movie. When I tell you that this is literally the first three minutes of the film, three minutes in, they buy the things from Tiffany's, Gary gets hit by a taxi. Ethan goes to check on him and see if he's okay. And, you know, they're both of their bags are set on the ground. Ethan grabs the wrong one, and that's where the comedy of errors occurs, because, you know, Christmas eventually shows up, and Rachel gets the gift that Ethan bought, and Vanessa gets the gift that Gary bought. And ah, it's a comedy of errors. And Throughout this whole interweaving connection of people, uh, these two, Rachel and Ethan, start hanging out, spending time together, becoming friends, and feeling a little bit more for each other than expected. Uh, it's a pretty classic, just romantic comedy setup. It's sweet. Uh, when you shoot in new york i mean new york is just one of those i think i mentioned it last episode it's like a cheat code you just run around the city and some of the greatest architecture in the world is here some of the um the coolest crowd shots you're ever gonna get some of the most iconic imagery like from um like whenever they set up the christmas tree in the middle of uh, the skating rink you know that thing it, it it's there. It, New York is just kind of like if you are able to shoot in New York, you get these great shots and great like neon lights and you get all this cool shit. And these two, um, as they, what I guess what I learned from this. Okay, first off, let me let me just get this out of the way. It's not the greatest movie in the world. It's really not. Uh, I'm trying not to be. Necessarily harsh on it because I'm not totally sure that it's like a. It makes sense that this is based on a book, and I feel like they strip too much because you get a decent chunk, or at least a chunk enough to fill a 90 minute movie with both Rachel and Ethan, at... but you're supposed to expect that these people both have problems in their relationships and. I'll be honest, I don't really know enough about the other two halves of these couples in order to make it feel like, oh, I understand where the problems are coming from. They sort of seem like, you know, not even subplots, but rather things that are obscured from the audience. You know, this whole uh, thing where Ethan wants to move to New York... And Vanessa, we get, like, little glimpses of lines that she's like, oh, I, you know, hate New York, I hate coal, blah, 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 blah. It's, like, little jabs here and there. And apparently that's supposed to be, like, a huge point of division for these two. But it never feels that way. I never get the sense that, oh, there's a real risk from being told that. Uh, Ethan wants to be a writer and he's already failed at it before but he wants to try again and something about him wanting to write again i think is supposed to be taken by vanessa as something that's like a harbinger of doom and the movie never really explains why the movie didn't really even go into the backstory of that outside of just "Ah, i was a disaster which again in an 80 minute movie is fine But when you're basing the whole hinge of will the relationship work or not on stuff like that, it it doesn't really click for me. And again, I think this is also an editing thing where the point of the movie where like the switcheroo happens is so early. It makes the movie feel like it's gonna be just this big, you know, I guess, how do I explain this? Like it's gonna be just like plot driven. All the way through, and it's the momentum of trying to get the secret out there, and you can mix it in with uh, this guy Ethan, like finding himself really falling for Rachel and going for you know something more. And I'm like, okay, you can balance that out, but there are these little bits of uh, there are these little scenes about uh, the writing. And I think uh, Rachel has... Uh, what, like, Gary will have his issues where he's always late to stuff or he doesn't prioritize Rachel enough. And that stuff just kind of grinds the movie to a halt a little bit. I don't, I don't know. There's something about the pacing of this thing that even when Ethan and Rachel are having their, like, meet-cutes and they're dealing with issues and problems... It feels like the movie will fast forward through that stuff and they tend to like montage their way through like, oh, them walking around New York and enjoying each other's company or, oh, Ethan helping Rachel out with something. Ah, You know, that that kind of stuff, I just feel like I needed a little bit more weight from this film. And also the most interesting things about this story happen... After the credits. You know, like, where the movie ends, I find, there's so much more to explore. There are things that I'm more interested in. Like, the romance itself is so just, like, blatantly obvious. Like, it's so obvious these two need to be with each other. Because when you see them interact with their significant others, they're infinitely more awkward. And infinitely infinitely more insecure then I'm just going like okay, y'all need y'all need to get this together, like and the two leads are really good like Zoe Dutch my God a pure adorable energy, just big eyes big smile big hearts you know there's always this uh, she talks a little bit too much when she gets nervous and uh, when she's really excited she'll give so much of herself just because it, it doesn't feel like she is uh, craving like attention more so than she is just that selfless, you know? Like she'll, uh, Ethan will do like some minor thing. You know, like I think at one point, uh, Gary attacked of the car and then Ethan and uh, his daughter visit Gary in the hospital or something like that, just cause you know, they wanted to check up on them. And due to that one interaction, Rachel is so moved that she's like, "Yeah, come to my restaurant and like, we'll I'll I'll set you up with a meal as like a thank you." I'm like a thank you for just like going to visit him, and then like, when he goes to the restaurant, she gives him more stuff, and it's that uh, that kindness and warmness from Zoe Dutch's performance that's really great. Uh, this is one of those roles too, where. Gary, who's played by Ray Nicholson, uh, Jack Nicholson's kid and you totally see it in the face, but uh, it's kind of a cool thing. But uh, their relationship is built on that she Rachel is the one who uh, mythologizes uh, their relationship. You know, Gary is usually the person who's late all the time, doesn't really prioritize her, Whenever she's cooking, and she clearly has you know culinary skill and degree, like she she's a restaurateur, she knows what the fuck she's doing. There's like this offhand comment he'll make about needing hot sauce, and the way that Nicholson plays that is such a dick move, and everybody can kind of see it. Uh, specifically, uh, Rachel's best friend, played by uh, Jojo T. Gibbs, uh, Terry who's again one of the scene stealers of this film she's sort of playing the role of the audience or at least she's playing me because i'm sitting at home just like why are you with this guy this dude just seems like a dick and not really interested in anything that you're interested in at all like why are you with him but it's because she mythologizes their relationship there's like this uh what is it the story that she tells about how they met and it was like the great meeting story and it's uh Terry has a great line where she's like oh Rachel loves the romance just not the fanfare it's like she's got this fantastical sort of fairy tale look at romance that she'll never admit to really having but it's something that you can see in the way that her eyes sparkle at someone that she is interested in or someone who dreams of bigger who has ambition Uh, like Ethan does with his book, that, you know, gets her going, essentially. And uh, seeing that relationship play out, uh, it's very easy for a movie like this to make that character just look like an idiot, like a complete jackass. It's like, oh, you obviously know you're with the wrong... It's like, you obviously don't know you're with the wrong person. Like, are you blind? Do you have eyes? And the way that Dutch plays it She definitely knows what's wrong, but it's because she believes so hard in the mythology of her relationship and wants that sort of great story that she can tell someone else that she sort of self-deludes herself. She deludes herself into thinking she's in a great relationship, and that delusion is something that we all deal with at one point or another, some of us way more than others. But uh, I like that little, I don't know, the way she balances it out because it's not that she ignores everything wrong that he does. She makes excuses for it, but she knows that it's wrong and she's trying to convince herself of another reason to stay. And seeing that convincing going on in her brain the entire time is, uh, it's, it's, a, it's cool. That's, that's a part that I actually enjoy watching, just watching her brain uh, rack that kind of stuff together. But it's whenever she's with Kendrick Sampson, who plays Ethan, that sort of the movie comes alive. Uh, I like Sampson as this sort of like suave dude, the kind of guy who always looks cool. Like if you look in the crowd, he's always the coolest looking motherfucker there. It's uh, a little bit like watching uh, Daryl McCormick in Good Luck to You, Leo Grand anytime he's in a sequence, it's always the coolest dude in the room is right there. And you obviously want to go. One of the funniest things is, like, the entire movie, people will, like, walk up to them and just be smitten by how gorgeous this guy is. Just the classic. He looks just straight out of, like, a, a Vogue magazine cover. Like, I expect him to be shirtless selling a cologne. But what I like about Samson's performance is that he is able to lead into the way more awkward and then secure parts of himself because this is an awkward and insecure situation. Like how do you tell a woman who believe who's got, how do you tell a woman that she's got your engagement ring meant for somebody else? When she is so, and I mean, you look at the smile on Dutch's face whenever she's telling Ethan, about this engagement ring that she got from Gary, like, you see the grin, and it's like... It'd be like kicking a puppy. You cannot do that. So the emotional truth of that is good, and I, I like that stuff. But watching him trying to, like, navigate the situation as gingerly as possible, because you know he's used to it. he You know he's good at getting to that point where he can kind of get what he wants by, like, being smooth and suave, but in this case, you need the utmost, like, Luke Skywalker shooting a missile into the Death Star delicacy in order to get this to work, and, you know, any time that she's able to just bring out the kind of, like, obsessive in him, because he's uh, usually a pretty cl- a reserved guy, and lets his more uh, brash and open daughter take over conversation like she's the one who usually covers for him when he can't uh, that stuff uh, watching him get really excited about writing was something that I enjoyed and you know this stuff is set again in New York uh, these shots are I wouldn't say the cinematography really moves me in terms of like the storytelling through the visuals it's more of I guess maybe production design, that they set up these spaces. There's like a, what is it? There's a scene where he takes her to like his favorite spot to go to when he's thinking about the city. And there are these big pillars, uh, light fixtures just sitting there. Then in the background, there's like a bridge. And that kind of stuff looks neat. It's the staging that looks cool. But I can't say it really made me like think about how the image influences the story it's just like a oh here are here's a pretty cool lighting setup for some gorgeous people to interact and have like a, a conversation in so I wouldn't say the cinematography really moves me but it looks good it looks pleasing I guess that's it it's pleasurable to the eye it's very much eye candy in that sense um um, i don't have a lie this this isn't this is a movie that really should be just like a joke a minute it should move really quickly but it kind of doesn't kind of just slogs on as like characters interact with each other and there's this sort of like limbo about the secret and at The way the movie was moving at one point made me think, oh, okay, the setup is just the catalyst for something else and not the whole, uh, like, oh, this is the switcheroo comedy of errors is really a secret for the romance. I thought at one point there was a chance we could just get past even all of that and go into, like, a separate layer, almost like how About Time does it where it's this – Romantic comedy that's got the time travel angle, but at one point it really goes past the goal of the original part of the movie, which was the romance, and moves on to like the story, you know, happily ever after type thing. I thought the movie was going to go there at one point, but it never really does. And I guess that's just an. A, I guess that's just like a tragedy of maybe not using the full weight of the book to really flesh out characters. Like I found Shay Mitchell. She's not supposed to be the bad guy, but I guess they don't really give her a lot to play with. So she looks confused in a lot of scenes. And I feel like if there was a little bit more with her, just her and Ethan, as a relationship as like how did these two get to be together and how do they care about each other that kind of thing i would have i guess preferred that more uh let's see anytime that uh terry and her wife uh, sophia played by javicia leslie anytime they're together they're just the you know they are me and whoever's watching with me. The commentary in the background, just fantastic uh, supporting characters. There's a couple decent jokes in this thing. And I did find, uh, you know, Dolly Dutch to be really, really warm and loving and kind. And just like, you want to follow her to the ends of the earth, God. Uh, just this super likable person. Uh, I think I read. I read somewhere somebody comparing her to Meg Ryan, and like, yeah, I could kind of see that. There's this sort of uh, slightly off-kilter, uh, again, adorkable energy about her that I really like. And Dutch has always been one of those actresses that's able to pull that stuff out. You always like her in a movie. Even if the movie isn't the greatest thing in the world, you always like her in it. So... uh I mean, whatever you think the movie's gonna go based on the setup is pretty much exactly where it goes. I can't say the uh, the emotional stuff really hits at all, just because it feels like okay, we need a conflict here, so let's set up this. There are some weird character traits that just aren't visually set up at all. Like, uh, I think Ethan has this thing where he always forgets his phone but it just kind of comes out of nowhere like a character will come in oh you forgot your phone again and i'm just like there was a phone in question why would he need a phone did he miss a call did he miss some news from somebody like what's going on and then of course that pays off later in the film but it was never planted correctly it's never like As obvious and dumb as it is, there's never, like, an insert shot of a phone being left on the counter with somebody buzzing, you know, as if they needed his attention. It's just a thing that tends to happen, and we have to take for granted because a character mentioned it. I was just like, that's awkward, and I don't really—why is that set up that way? It just distracted me, and I guess that part— I guess that's it. There's just nothing really keeping me in here beyond the leads. And When the leads aren't on screen, having a good time, then I'm, by proxy, I'm not having a great time as well. So do I recommend this thing at all? Um, um, if you are into Hallmark films, if you can kind of... If you're somebody who likes listening to the Hallmarkies podcast with Rachel Rachel Wagner, who is guiding you through the land and mystical arts of the Hallmark Christmas movie, where you're kind of like subjected to this setup day in and day out, but you just like, I guess, the way the characters are set up. I would say this is sort of like a mid-tier version of that because while the actors are really solid and while the movie looks nice and definitely has a budget behind it, <clears throat> the way I hear uh, Miss Wagner talk about some of these films, it makes me think like, oh, there are some movies that really get to pull some more uh, character out of these stories. And I don't think this one quite has it. So if you're into like Hallmark Christmas movies, if you want something light and breezy, something to put on... While you're baking Christmas cookies, I think you could do a lot worse than this. But uh, it's just like a romantic um, comedy by itself. Something to really enjoy on a Friday night. There are so many better options. I mean, shit, When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> that's, if, that's the first one that's in my mind. Just like, boom, there's Christmas in that. You'd enjoy it. Fuck About Time is great, too. And I don't know. There's, there's better romantic comedies out there. But anyway, thank you for listening to another episode of The Movies. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at The Movies underscore pod. I am also on uh, Instagram and Letterboxd at just The Movies pod. I'll be able to post links in the description so you can just kind of like figure it out from there. And yeah, again, thank you very much for listening. I'm gonna play a song from Old Blue Eyes, Frank Sinatra, Let It Snow. Take care, my friends. Yeah, we're going. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. Since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. It doesn't show signs of stopping, and I brought some corn for popping. The lights are turned down low, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow.